Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, we're going to cover a subject we've covered a lot on the show, but we haven't covered in a little while, and that is the subject of pornography. Now, those of you who read my uh, my regular column uh, at LifeSiteNews.com will know that the porn industry is one of the things I report on regularly. Whenever there's a study talking about the harm of the porn industry, whenever somebody comes out to talk about the harm the porn industry has done to them, I try to to cover it because I genuinely think that the issue of pornography and the use of digital pornography by an entire generation of young people is one of the fundamental issues of our day. That if we don't get this thing right, we are sentencing an entire generation and the generations that follow that uh, to a lifetime of dysfunction of, of essentially what amounts to neurological brain damage as the result of consuming this horrifying and toxic material. So today to kind of get, get an update on where we are in the war against the porn industry, to discuss a bunch of the recent developments and to take a look at what people can do to push back against the porn industry and to protect themselves and their loved ones from it. I'm joined by my friend Gabe Deem. Now, his name might be familiar to regular listeners of the show because we've had him on the show before to describe his own personal story. He got hooked on porn at the age of eight and and found out that porn had transformed the way his mind worked, had to do a lot of research to find out what had happened to him. He now runs RebootNation.org. He's a speaker and he's a writer, and he speaks out publicly nonstop on the issue of pornography. He's been on all sorts of major media outlets, and he's even been on MTV to talk about the harm porn is doing to a generation. So he joined me to discuss a number of issues related to relating, pardon me, to the porn wars. I think it was a very unlikely conversation with a surprising amount of encouraging news on that front. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. All right, Gabe, uh, just to start off, we, we've had you on the show before and any listeners who, who are unfamiliar with your own story, which you've, you've, you've shared with all of us before, I encourage them to go back, search Gabe Deem on the podcast. You'll find your entire testimony of how you went through porn addiction, how you recovered and a lot of the tools necessary for that. So before we get into some of the specific things I want to talk to you about today with regards to, to policies to fight the porn industry, etc. Let's just catch everybody up for a minute. Um, what's what's life been like in between? I, I know one, one of the things I, I'd like to touch on is is uh, somebody who's a hero to both of us, Gary Wilson, who we lost this year, but a lot of listeners might not be aware of. So kind of catch us up for the last year and a half. Yeah, definitely a lot's happened. Just on the industry front, you know, last December, you had Nick Kristoff at the New York Times pin his piece called The Children of Pornhub, where he very, you know, short, concise and explicitly documented, you know, rape videos and abuse videos and child sexual abuse content that is streamed on Pornhub. And, you know, some of the victims tried to get the content down sometimes for, you know, months to no avail. And so that immediately caused a media frenzy. And then the banks withdrew their partnership with, you know, MindGeek, which is the owner of the, the parent company of Pornhub and many other tube sites around the world. And so it really just kind of sent a shockwave around the world in the porn industry, just that, just that New York Times piece. 
And then, you know, later, earlier on in this year, we had the OnlyFans debacle and kind of the same thing where they were saying that um, some non-consensual content was getting through because they didn't have age verification checks on everyone that is in the videos. So that's been one huge piece of the events that have happened the last year. And then you mentioned Gary Wilson, who, for those that aren't familiar with him, he's, you know, a hero to me personally. And I know you met him personally. And he is the founder of yourbrainonporn.com. He started that website, which is actually the website. If y'all go back and listen to my story, it's a website that really changed my life as someone who developed a, a sexual dysfunction through using porn all through my you know teenage years, eventually leading to the point where I couldn't be sexually aroused with a real partner. Gary really set out and was a pioneer on sharing the scientific information that explained the the neuroscience and sexual conditioning. Like if you think about Pavlov's dog conditioning himself to a bell, he really explained it in layman's terms. What happens when adolescents, you know, cut their teeth on internet porn and condition themselves to a certain stimulus like porn on a screen and how that can negatively impact real life relationships, how it can lead to addiction, how it can lead to escalation into more shocking content, morphing sexual taste, etc. And Gary was just ruthless in his passion for sharing the truth. He wasn't afraid of the attacks that were hurled at him from all all corners of of the internet from you know the porn industry itself or f- people that were friendly with the porn industry and he stood his ground and so it was it was an absolute tragedy to lose him he was a dear friend of mine in may of this this year and you know, recently, as far as the culture goes, we just had pop star Billie Eilish do an interview last week on the Howard Stern show where she was really blunt with her story and explicit on how using porn since the age of 11 really screwed her up, morphed her sexual taste. She said she, you know, got to a point where she could only, you know, be attracted to violent content. And she said, you know, it it hurt her body image, her self-esteem, and in her words, it destroyed her brain. When you say that Gary Wilson always stood his ground, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure if any of the listeners know this, but the last direct interaction I had with him was after I did an interview with him for LifeSite on a significant court victory against one of the, the so-called porn profs who had been constantly going after him, trying to undermine his research, you know, claim that porn was fine and healthy and all those things. And after doing the interview with him, she, she threatened to sue. And then, and then Gary had messaged me right away and was like, by the way, this is par for the course. You know, they've tried this, they've tried this forever. I've, I've, I've always won. And it was just sort of interesting. Like he was, the, the thing, too, is that there's there's a lot of different culture war issues that arouse people's passions. But but Gary was just so focused on helping young men and helping them out of what is for many young men an absolutely devastating experience to discover that porn has sort of maimed them in these ways that they had no idea. I know I talked to the guys I talked to who are hooked on porn. Uh, it's a younger and younger and younger age, like just in these last few months, one of the most recent fellows I talked to had been addicted you know, at age five, right? So he's, you know, 15, 16, he's been looking at this stuff for over a decade already, which is just really, that's your whole childhood gone, right? Completely poisoned by all this imagery. And Gary was there for for people like that. So I just wanted to mention him so that any of the listeners, you know, when, when, when guys are doing that kind of work, it's just important to make sure that people recognize their contribution. 
one thing about Gary's story is he set out to share the truth because he saw guys that were suicidal on his wife's forum. They, they ran a website about relationships and bonding and love and all these guys right after the tube site explosion around the year 2006, when YouTube, you know, launched and then all the porn sites switched to that format where you could just stream unlimited content and had never ending novelty to bombard your brain. Guys started showing up on forums all over the internet and their forum was one of them and they were desperate for help. You know, sometimes they were, you know, you know, at the end of their rope, just pleading and Gary stepped in and set, and, you know, did what he could to help him. And he dedicated a whole decade of his life just to helping, you know, people like myself and, and the guys you just mentioned. And he didn't have any, you know, moral problem with porn. He didn't care about porn. He always joked with me. He'd much rather be watching basketball or do, doing something else. But he spent every waking hour trying to help people online. And a good friend of his, you know, after he passed, shared a really touching story that really speaks to Gary's character. And one of, you know, right before he passed, his last couple of days, he spoke with a friend who had a, a daughter that was sick. And, you know, Gary's first, you know, comment to him was asking about how his daughter was doing. It wasn't about how sick he was. And so that, you know, that really goes to show you that he always was on a mission to help others and care about others. It was a real loss. And we've lost a couple of giants just in these this last these last couple of years, actually, in the movement. Right. You know, people that, that you and I would run into to at, at conferences, you know, the author of Sex, Lies and Kinsey also also passed away pretty recently. These are all people who would be at the same conferences just a couple of years ago. And that's why it's so important uh, for those who are attempting to expose the industry to make people aware of how dangerous pornography actually is to, to keep going and to, to sort of pick up the torch and carry on. And I wanted to take a look at some of the things that you're doing. So those who those who have listened to our previous interview, and again, for, for more context, people should go back and listen to that one. But what is the sort of stuff that you do on, on a monthly basis to, to sort of carry on Gary's work, to fight pornography? Because a lot of people always say to me, besides, you know, working on myself and, and helping my peers, my friends, my family members and stuff like that, what can really be done to, to, to sort of fight the porn plague here here in North America? So what are what are you doing in practical terms? I run my website, RebootNation.org. It's a recovery community with over 21,000 members, mo- mostly young people that either have a porn addiction or a porn-induced sexual dysfunction. So that is the, the main thing I do. But I'm also just continuing to be an activist. One of my goals is to make the potential negative effects of porn common knowledge, just as the potential negative effects of smoking is common knowledge today. That's kind of always the mission I've been on. And I want to keep that going. I think that that was a big goal for Gary was just to get the science that we have available, the studies, the anecdotal evidence, the, the, you know, quotes from urologists who are doing case studies, having guys recover from sexual dysfunction simply by removing the single variable of internet porn. And this is important information that most people have no idea is out there. And that's kind of my mission is just to continue to be an activist, do what I can, talk to who I can. I want to, you know, hopefully when COVID clears up completely, I can get back to public speaking and, you know, going to conferences and stuff like that. That's where I see uh, myself headed in the future. And also right now, just with the, the political controversies around the world on age verification, that's one of the things that I want to do is protect kids 
you know, we know you shared the story of the five-year-old having access to porn and being addicted to it for a decade during the most, you know, vulnerable, moldable years of his life. And that's what happened to me. I was exposed at eight and I used porn all through my adolescence and it really screwed me up. And as Billie Eilish just shared with Howard Stern, she didn't have any shame around her porn use and she had easy access from age 11 and it screwed her up. And it's, you know, it's not just always addiction. It can also just be blurring the lines of consent to where, you know, there's been reports of, you know, girls in the UK sharing um, their stories on a site called Everyone's Invited. I think there's over 50,000 stories from teenagers talking about being sexually abused. And a lot of them describe their first kiss with boys now where they try and choke them and put their hands around their neck. And, you know, the the police chief, the former police chief in the UK said that he believes porn is a main factor behind the rising sexual violence that they're seeing in young people. So you have the you have the neurological impact that it's just, you know, wreaking havoc on an entire generation that happened to me. And then you also just have the whole concept of what is sex is being distorted. And now they're wiring in pain and their arousal template and they're wiring in abuse and misogyny into their arousal template. This, their first sexual experiences sometimes are seeing rape videos or really violent, abusive content. And it has a really profound effect on an adolescent brain. And I think the technologies there for age verification, and there's a lot of myths that float around on age verification. You know, my, my libertarian in me comes out and I think, oh, it's a porn ban, <laughs> but it's not a porn ban. It's about protecting children. It's not banning it from adult consumption. We are just pushing for all sites that host pornography to require age verification. So if you're not a site that hosts it, you won't have to worry about age verification. So that's that's kind of my angle on it. There's there's all sorts of branches on the age verification tree. But at the end of the day, we protect kids from gambling. There's age verification in check. It works. The industry follows suit and reports companies that don't abide by the rules. The same for alcohol or tobacco. Kids cannot purchase that online. It's not easy to get around. You know, that's another common misconception is kids will just get around it. And while that may be true, they can in some instances, especially the tech savvy kids. Most kids are exposed, research shows, unintentionally. I believe over 60% of kids say they unintentionally saw porn the first time. So those are the things that I'm passionate about. And I think there's a huge need for it. And I think it's bipartisan support. I don't think at the end of the day, this is very practical and it can be done. It just has to, you have to get to the people that are skeptical. Um, they really have to have that buy-in and really know that it's not, you know, a ban. It's actually kind of funny because one of the reasons I'm not a libertarian is because of the porn industry. And what we've talked about this offline before, this is where we're slightly different. I know like, you're like, I, I, I'm not on board of the porn, man. I want to crush the industry and grind it into dust and then spread it on, on the ocean because it's just what it's done to our culture. Like, and you've had these same experiences. If I look at the sheer cost being borne by a generation, not of even teenagers, of kids. Yeah, I, I just... I. In terms of orienting a society in the way that we want it to live, I think it's just it's it's terrible terrible for everybody, and, it, and it's kind of funny because 
that damage is now becoming so obvious that you've got guys like Howard Stern, who was a massive promoter of porn culture, right? He was sort of like the original crude guy who tried to push the envelope by saying everything. And it was really funny a couple of years ago, listening to him moralize about how crude Donald Trump was on his show when, you know, he's asking crude questions, right? He's deliberately attempting to get these responses and, 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 you know, he's, he's, he's a first rate creep. And for him to sit there and listen to the impact of a pornified society on somebody much younger than him, I think is interesting. There was another conversation a while back that I wrote about for LifeSide as well on Bill Maher. Bill Maher talking to Joe Rogan and, Joe, and, and just saying like, what is wrong with, with the kids these days? And, and that's like, I got where he was coming from because he's just discovered how twisted a lot of this new stuff is that's mainstream and is wondering, well, like, you know, how they get attracted to it. But the answer to that question, of course, is, is, is all the research that Gary Wilson did. It's the, it's the neurological, essentially the neuroplasticity of the brain evolving in response to the material that's being consumed. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you on this is because I I worry sometimes I'm in a bubble. I can get really encouraged by the fact that well look at these figures who who are who are speaking out against pornography right you have you have Billie Eilish who again her the reason her statements were so powerful is because they were so blunt and then you've got you know somebody like Bill Maher who was previously famous for you know a, a documentary mocking religion you have all these these mainstream figures that are far, far outside the realm of the typical social conservative culture warrior who are like, this stuff is really, really poisonous. But am I noticing this just because I'm in this bubble? Or do you notice sort of a broader cultural shift that's significant happening? Oh, absolutely. There's a culture shift. And I think I think it's actually a very small vocal minority that's still ringing the old moral prude crusade bells. I think that... That, you know, historically speaking, might have been true back in the 60s, 70s. That was kind of the main focus of the porn wars was kind of the the ethics around it. And I think, you know, as as I told you when I shared my story last time, I think uh, I always consider us the super bad generation where we just grew up thinking it was cool and greatest thing ever since sliced bread. And it was something that, you know, my my group of friends, we didn't have shame around. Billie Eilish said she didn't have shame around it. She actually uh, said she was an advocate for it and she thought it was empowering. And I think that gets at a really important point is, you know, when I was younger, I was watching this TV show. I think it was called the Sunday Night Sex Show on, I forget the channel, but they basically were pushing the idea that porn sex positive. You know, everyone's heard that porn can spice up the bedroom. And I found out, you know, that that was the opposite of the truth because it ended up killing the bedroom for me where I couldn't function without it. I was completely dependent on it. And I think that the generation that grew up in the trenches clicking the tabs when we were 11 years old on abusive, violent content with, you know, unending novelty, we have seen firsthand the effects that that's had on us and our relationships. And that, you know, that kind of gets at both sides of the culture. It's not a political thing anymore. You know, there was an interview that Joe Rogan did with a scientist that writes for Playboy. She's very pro-porn. And, you know, she said the classic propaganda talking point that there's no evidence of porn addiction. And even someone like Joe Rogan, to his neuroscientist guest, said, you don't know what you're talking about. He immediately just told her she doesn't know what she's talking about. Because even Joe Rogan has had, you know, guests on there that talk about the science of porn addiction. And it's one of those things where, like you said, Bill Maher and lots of people have seen the reality. 
And it, it does kind of shatter those misconceptions that are still floating around from the, you know, the wars of past. And now it's super normal stimulus like internet porn with kids chronically, you know, consuming it since we were five, six, seven years old, and eventually getting to a point where we're getting off to stuff that we used to find repulsive. We can't function with our partners and we can't quit when we want to go a day without watching it. And so we know that it's screwing us up on multiple levels. And I think that's the the big difference is now the first generation that grew up with internet porn are adults and they're speaking publicly about it. And that's one of the things that I set out to do was kind of open that conversation from a from an educational science perspective and nothing to do with judgment or shame. Let's just talk about the facts. It's interesting when you put it that way, when Joe Rogan said, you don't know what you're talking about because he he's, he's seen porn. And the, the important thing to emphasize is he felt the power and the pull of porn. There was an article written, I, I forget how long ago, it's got to be 20 years ago now, by the famous British novelist Martin Amos, where, you know, to do this long form piece for some sort of Esquire style magazine, he actually went to a porn set and he wrote an article about what he saw there. And and then he actually watched like porn in his hotel room. This is a guy, you know, he's 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 like a like liberal to the core, has lived all of the fruits of the sexual revolution, part of the 68 generation, has no moral qualms about this stuff whatsoever. And is so just sort of trying to explore this new aspect of the sexual revolution. And the, the essay he, he wrote after covering this stuff was pretty shattering because he even said uh, when he was watching what was mainstream porn just as as a research activity he suddenly grew terrified by by a single thought and that thought was that he might like this stuff right he was watching it and he was like this is repulsive and and like everything in me tells me this is wrong at the same time there he, he knew that you know if he kept on watching it there would eventually be an involuntary response that he couldn't control and he was terrified that by watching this stuff he would like it and then he related the fact that in, in his home country of the United Kingdom, he now lives in New York City. By the time he still lived in London, he said that, you know, his kids were already telling him that porn had transformed sexual experiences. Like there was this one moment for liberals where, you know, sex was, you know, quote unquote, liberated and people could do whatever they want before, you know, predatory capitalism digitized everything and started to transform the experience in turn. And you ended up with a circumstance where actually um, the very way people act on their sex lives are subject to market forces uh, that are essentially hijacking people's frontal cortex. Now, I know I sound like Chris Hedges. I promise I'm a conservative. But this is what happens when you you don't have any ethical constraints um, to free market forces is you end up with something like this. And it just speaks to what you're saying. And I found that really interesting. And which brings me to this year. I think there's four. I, there was a early on in the year. There was first a study from the UK that came out in January. Then there was another another study from a major university in Spain, and then another one more recently again from the UK. All of which were talking about porn addiction and the way that compulsive porn use, beginning pre adolescence, was was giving people a predilection towards violence. Now. What I'm interested in from you is I know that you and, and Gary Wilson have tangled a lot with, with the porn profs, guys like Dr. David Lay, like she who will not be named, who, who threatened to sue me over an article I wrote. And so would you say that the cumulative weight of all this evidence is sort of crushing their feeble protestations at this point? Like at what point are they the doctor smoking a cigarette on TV and saying you want these smooth Belmonts because, you know, <laughs> your doctor recommends it? 
<laughs> well, I think that point was 10 years ago where they were crushed. The American Society of Addiction Medicine in 2011, which is a group of over 6,000 addiction experts, you know, they came out with a new definition that clearly included behavioral addictions like sexual addictions, like watching porn and food. And they described addiction as one condition of the brain where you pathologically pursue a reward and you can't quit despite negative consequences. And all addictions share some of the same changes in the reward circuit in the brain. And that was a decade ago. And, you know, just a couple years ago, Valerie Voon at Cambridge, Mark Patenza, some of the top researchers uh, in the topic of porn addiction, they came out with a review that said verbatim, we believe that evidence, uh, we believe that current evidence suggests the classification of compulsive sexual behavior disorder as an addictive disorder is in line with evidence. And so that was a review, I think, 2017. So that was four years ago. You know, there's over 50 neuroscience-based studies now that support the porn addiction model, yet you still have propaganda mouthpieces saying there's no evidence for porn addiction. And I just saw an article the other day that I won't even mention the title of, but in it, they said that experts agree that porn's okay and can be healthy. It's like, it's just everything's backwards with the small vocal minority of sexologists that, you know, until their their dying day will say there's no evidence that porn can cause harm. And their their pushback to the Billie Eilish piece was that, you know, all they could say is, oh, if she had better sex education, sh this wouldn't have happened. And if she didn't have shame around her porn use, this wouldn't have happened. But as I already mentioned, she preemptively refuted that point saying she didn't have shame. And to their point on sex education, there's a whole topic, and this is important to mention, there's a whole push for what's called porn literacy. It, this, is, this is a group of, you know, theory or academics, you know, that are pushing for if you teach kids that porn's not real, and you get, you know, kids to critically think about porn from an ethical consent standpoint, that everything will just be, you know, butterflies and sunshine. But the problem with that, as you already mentioned, is neuroscience. It's the sexual conditioning to pixels on a screen can happen regardless of the genre that they're watching. You know, it, so even if they're watching quote unquote ethical porn, they can still condition their brains to that. They can escalate into the very content that those porn literacy professors are trying to keep them away from. And so to me, the solution isn't porn literacy, it's sex education that includes the neuroscience of the most imp uh, important sex organ, the brain. Porn literacy doesn't teach kids about the brain's reward circuit. It doesn't teach that porn can be addictive. It's just talking about porn and what is consent. And to me, it's missing the most important piece that, you know, young guys like myself who got screwed up by porn wish that we would have been taught when we were younger. And that's the potential negative effects of watching it, regardless of the content, you know, and, and for the people that say they should teach kids that all porn is misogynistic and sex trafficking. Well, there's a really big group of, you know, young people that are watching cartoon porn, you know, hentai, and it's, it's, it's not even real people being exploited, but kids are wiring their arousal template to that. And so when I think of porn, I don't even really think of the industry per se. I think of anything, you know, I tell my guys on my forum, you know, they always ask, well, what's a relapse is, can I look at Instagram or TikTok videos? Is that okay? And I'm like, anything that's on a screen that arouses you and, you know, whatever that is can cause a problem. And so I think 
you know, my big push and my big solution is pushing for sex education that includes neuroscience about the brain. And then once you start with that foundation from a health perspective, the kids won't feel awkward. They won't feel judged. They'll be thinking you have their best interest in mind and be thinking about it like they would, you know, talking about cigarettes or junk food or playing too many video games. And then you have their attention. And if you are a person of faith or you're not, then you can, you know, lead them into a conversation about your moral opinions, but you'll have their attention. I've found that if you start with the science, all young people, you can hear a pin drop in the room. The moment you start talking about sexual conditioning and neuroscience, they think it's super interesting. And that's what's missing. From a Christian perspective, the science just is another example of what we would refer to as natural law, right? When you do these things that there's, there's adverse reactions to them and the ethical porn, there was a, a huge essay on this in the Atlantic magazine on ethical porn, one of several. And the whole thing was, was, was so ridiculous. It's like, you're straining so hard at straws so that everybody can keep their porn. And it was, it was almost kind of like, it was kind of like sort of late stage civilization pathetic. Like, okay, I get that this has turned into this horrid, torrid pool of, of exploitation, of sex trafficking, of pathetic young men who are expending all of their energy towards this because this has rendered them like that. But instead of just saying, hey guys, you're so much better than this. You could do great things. You were born, you know, for a lot more than wasting your time in front of a screen. Instead of saying, here's what it's doing to your brain. Come on guys, this is not what healthy sexuality looks like. Instead, they're just like, what if we just show them like a specific kind of porn? What if the porn stars are unionized? You know, like... It's like getting a kid to drink light beer instead of, you know, liquor shots. Well, yeah, it's like, why don't you snort a bit of cocaine, right? You'll get like, <laughs> it's just nothing bad can happen. It's just, you just need to really limit the drug you're taking. And part of this, and I'll be very blunt, is, is part of this, it was it was a bunch of, so every single person promoting ethical porn I've seen so far, besides Dr. David Lay, who is an exception in a category by himself, is like, they're, they're, there's females promoting this idea of ethical porn because they're fixated on the feminist aspect of this, right? All on the exploitation and part of me is like i, I don't think I, I can tell you were never an 11 12 13 14 year old boy because that's not what anybody's thinking when they're looking at that i remember one guy joking when there, there was like this conversation adolescence and girls have all these experiences where they talk about the first experiences of entering puberty and stuff and one of them asked a guy like oh, what do you remember about entering puberty and he's like yeah none of us remember that we were too busy watching the girls go through it right like when you're talking about early teen kids and you're like okay guys this porn like this hardcore is acceptable because you know she signed a waiver and her union rep is off camera and all those kinds of things like this is just such a fundamental understanding not just of the neuroscience but of how adolescent boys function like I finished the one paragraph on this. I'm like, this is just too stupid for words. Have you never met a kid? Well, I always tell educators, you know, when they're talking to teens, don't tell them porn sex isn't like real sex. And I know everyone's like, well, wait a minute. But what I mean by that is if you tell them that, especially early on in your talk, you know, and the conversation, they're going to think you're either ignorant or you're a prude because the sex that they are having or the sex that their friends are having is pornified sex. So you have to teach them why they're having pornified sex. And that goes back to the arousal template being conditioned to what they're watching. And then you can, you know, get into the what we're you know, naturally created for desiring, which is connection with the real person. And then they'll start to see that they're getting more and more connected with a computer or a device and their relationships are suffering. And teens are all ears when you, when you frame the conversation that way.
All right, to sort of sign this off on, on some good news, and there's been some good news, I think, it's this sea of depressing depravity, which is the fact that the culture is shifting. There's a lot of people waking up. I'm interested to know what you think our chances of getting age verification are, because I feel like, uh, you know, the... The closest we were getting there was in the UK. It's been a total whiplash roller coaster of, yes, it's going to be age verification. No, it's not. So where are we on that? And what are our chances of getting this more broadly? The UK is still kind of in a two steps forward, two steps back situation. And I am not entirely sure where they're at at the moment. I know it's kind of still in limbo. But you're right. In 2019 was the closest they got. It actually you know, was approved by the parliament. And the law was approved and they actually had an industry regulator already, you know, put in place and the the porn sites were getting ready to comply. And then for political reasons, uh, it's it's been rumored that because the general election was coming up over there, that it kind of got shelved because there wasn't enough general public buy in. So really, it was it was shelved for political reasons, not because it wasn't practical and it wasn't, you know, potentially bipartisan. And as far as the states go, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I think we're a very long way away from getting any meaningful age verification passed here, just with the Constitution, the, the First Amendment that everyone rallies behind, and just the political nightmare that is that takes, you know, sometimes decades to iron out. And I don't know where we are exactly. I'm not the age verification expert per se. I'm more of the young guy that's passionate that we need it. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I'm not really sure up to date on where the United States is with it. I know there's, you know, the biggest thing that's being debated is the whole Section 230 thing with sites like Pornhub being, you know, protected by user uploaded content because they're saying they're not a publishing platform and they can't control all the content that goes up on their site. But now, you know, ever since the New York Times piece came out last year, they deleted some 80%, I believe, of the videos on their site. I think it was like over 10 million videos disappeared overnight once they got the spotlight shined on them for abusive, non-consensual content. So yeah, I don't know where it goes from here. I think Section 230 is going to be a big debate with just in regards to all porn sites in general, and even, you know, social media where, you know, millions of people post content. Ideally, it would get to a point where age verification can be passed if it's a situation where porn was only on porn sites. So no social media allows it. That way people can still use social media without having to prove their age. And then only the porn sites or sites that host porn have to have age verification implemented. I think if it's framed that way, I think you would see bipartisan support. And even the the libertarians could get, get behind something like that. And they're notoriously difficult to corral into any protective measure. For the listeners, I'm, I consider myself pretty libertarian. I, I typically want the government to stay away from, you know, most people's private lives. And I also uh, don't consider myself on an anti-porn mission. I'm on a pro-education mission, but I am for age verification. I think it's absolutely atrocious. And we will look back on human history, allowing five-year-olds to watch, you know, violent pornography as something that we will be extremely ashamed of. But I think there is other hope too. And that is that research is coming out showing the, you know, seriousness of the issue. There was a urologist that published a study uh, a few months ago showing evidence of porn-induced sexual dysfunction. So it's good news that that's finally getting in the literature. Another study found that guys who watch porn more than three times a week are more likely to have 
sexual dysfunctions. So the, the evidence is coming out. And then also there's been um, studies where guys quit porn and recover and, you know, get their, get their zest for life back, are able to fall in love and aren't addicted and crippled by consuming pixels on a screen anymore. So there's, there's definitely a lot of hope and a lot of good news coming out. I agree with you on almost everything. I guess the the only distinction between the two of us in terms of government action is that when it comes to porn, cut the head off the snake is is my vote. Age verification is a meaningful step in the right direction. But no, there's there's uh, the, the the craziest thing about anti porn conferences is the extent to which it's an eclectic bunch of people. You've got radical feminists and and Mormons, and you've got Protestants, and then you have like total atheists. Uh, who are there and they're all fighting for the same thing because they just recognize that the stuff is poison. So, Gabe, it was awesome to catch up with you again. Thanks for sharing uh, all of your insights with our listeners. Well, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I always love chatting with you and I appreciate the work you do. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with my friend Gabe Deem on updates from the Porn Wars. We thank you so much for taking the time to join us and we hope there was enough uplifting news in that show to give you some encouragement heading into the holidays. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We do hope that if you enjoyed this show, you head over to lifesitenews.com, click on the podcast tab. There you'll find the show where you can subscribe. You can get our content wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thanks so much for joining us this week. And we do hope you'll join us again after the holidays.